Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. All right, let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In case you missed last week, let's read it out just one more time. Before you were formed in the womb, I already knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Our sovereign Lord, I said, excuse me, I don't know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out His hand and He touched my mouth and He said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, somebody yell see. see. Yell it louder. See. One more time. See. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The Word of the Lord came to me. What do you? Come on, somebody get with me. What do you? Jeremiah. And Jeremiah replied and said, I... I, the branch of an almond tree. Come down to verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Don't be terrified by them or I will, be, I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, declares the Lord, the, sorry, against the whole, sorry, my pulpit is bouncing. It's got a foot missing. All right, here we go. Uh, against, where am I? Uh, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I have made you a fortified city an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. Jump over me tonight to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, and we're going to dive into this again in verse 13. If you're sitting next to somebody good looking, can you just say, yep? All right. It's fantastic. James Duxfield thinks that Adam Johnson is handsome. Cute. It was cute. I'm going to kill him after the service. My wife said this morning that he looked cute. It's those dreamy blue eyes, isn't it? Verse 13 of Joshua 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, 
He looked up. Shut up. He looked up. It's the word. We're reading the Bible, James. Get with it. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, someone shout it. Someone shout it louder. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. One of my favorite heroes in Christian history is a man by the name of William Booth. Annalise, he shares your surname. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. There are some things that you need to know about William Booth. The first one was that William Booth began his life as a failed street preacher. Then he attempted to be the pastor of a local church and again was a failure. He didn't think God was with him. In fact, he was beginning to question where he was going to go with his life because he'd invested his life in a direction and it all seemed to be coming to naught. Then one day, William Booth was invited to preach in a tent, a little tent in East London in literally the worst area of the worst part of the worst side of the city of London, the most depraved area, the most desperate place of need, and what I think we could call the most humble of invitational environments, a tent in London. It was Christmas time, it snows in Christmas time in London, and the Bible, the history records that William Booth set off to go to preach at this meeting, arrived there to find the most miserable group of human beings you've ever seen gathered in a building. He preached his message and something happened and people found Christ that night. He walked home and as he walked home from the service, history records that he saw children standing at the doorway of pubs. They were in bare feet. Their parents were inside spending their last money on their alcohol to feed their addiction because their parents were alcoholics. He walked past alleyways and saw families gathered around boxes in alleyways while the snow descended, huddling together to find a night's sleep. He saw women selling their bodies on the street in order to get money so that they could buy food to eat. He saw all kinds of depravity, all kinds of dysfunction. But he walked home that evening, and when he walked into the doors, the door of his house, he said to his wife, my darling, I have found my calling. Amazing story to note that William Booth conceived something in his heart that night. As he went to that tent, as he saw those people, as he gave that response to Jesus, 
as he saw children on the street and families in alleyways and women in the worst of situations being taken advantage of. The, the, the history books record that William Booth saw what everybody else saw with a completely different way of seeing. He started that night something that later became called the Salvation Army. In the first five years of its journey, the Salvation Army, his, that's basically William Booth and his little band of followers, led 210,000 people to Jesus Christ on the streets of London. That's amazing. Can you give God some praise? Oh, sure. The money began to flow and the volunteers began to appear themselves to appear, but he regularly appeared home with bruises on his face, tears in his clothing as he faced opposition and ridicule and scorn. It's amazing to note that in those five years that they led 210,000 people to Jesus, he didn't have a PA system. He never had a mass mailer. He had no access to Twitter or Instagram, no television program, no remote responses, just an army of people on the streets of London making a difference in the lives of the people that they met. What's amazing about William Booth is that there were already many people involved in trying to do something in East London, but one man saw things differently to the way that everybody else saw them. He didn't see just people who were destitute. He saw an opportunity. He didn't see people who were worthless. He saw people who were priceless. And my friends, we would not be overstating it to say that what William Booth saw that night not only changed the history of London, not only changed the history of England, but indeed is written in the history books as changing the history of the world. Because of the Salvation Army, many nations in the world no longer have child slavery, child labor, sorry, no longer have uh, the slavery in their countries. Addiction has been cured in literally millions of people throughout its history and still the largest force for helping alcoholics and drug addicts in the world is the Salvation Army. What he saw that night changed the course of his life. And my friends, I want you to know that there is nothing more powerful that can ever happen to a person than God beginning to arrest the view of their life, the horizon of their view. When God begins to get into a life and to change the way that we see, the most amazing things begin to take place. When we see God with our heart, when we are awakened to Him, the most miraculous of things begin to happen. When you seek God, when you press into Him, when you begin to desire after God, not only do you discover that your life has a purpose, not only will you realize that there is a reason why you are here. When any person, I want you to hear it tonight, when any person begins to seek after God, God will always begin to show them things. In the life of William Booth, God showed him the poor and destitute. When I found Jesus at the age of 19, I got at the age of 18 and I was set on fire for God at the age of 19, whenever I prayed, God began to show me the faces of people. I saw the nation of New Zealand and fires emerging all over the map of this great country. Jeremiah is seeking, he is asking, he is saying, God, would you show me something? God, would you reveal your purpose in my life? 
uh, at the age of 18, I began to pray and say, God, would you show me? Would you show me why I'm here? What is the purpose for my existence? And friends, I want you to know that when God begins to reveal His purpose in the life of every person, He always begins to show them new things. If there is one thing that God is looking for, it is a seeking heart. God is looking for any man, He is looking for any woman, young or old, that is going to begin to seek after Him. Because God is looking for somebody that He can arrest their sight and show them something new. God is not interested in another generation of believers who see the same way that everybody else sees. I believe that not only did the disciples, were the disciples flawed when they saw a man on the side of the road and when they saw him look for somebody to attribute blame towards and Jesus said this man was not born blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned. He was born, I see this differently, that the works of God might be revealed in him. The greatest challenges of our generation don't exist for Christians to level blame towards them. They exist for Christians to see them differently to the way that everybody else sees those challenges. I want you to hear this and we're gonna repeat it tonight, but we are not called to be a pathetic people. We are called to be a prophetic people. Come on. I don't know about you, but I've had it up to about here with pathetic Christians who have a word from God about every trivial little thing, but no answers to the problems that are out there. Oh, they call themselves prophetic because they can get a yea, verily saith the Lord, a quivering hand and a word for somebody in a church foyer, normally inappropriate. But I don't believe God is looking for a Christian in a foyer with an inappropriate word who calls themselves prophetic. I believe God's looking for a generation of young men, young women who are gonna look at the problems of our world and are gonna say, you know what? My God doesn't have any problems that are too big. He doesn't have a challenge so large that he flees from it. I believe God's looking for a generation of people who are gonna see an answer and get busy changing the world. If you believe that might be you, can you lift the, your voice and give the Lord some praise? Oh man, see friends, I want you to understand that where this journey really begins to kick off is when people begin to seek God. When you begin to seek God, when your life comes alive, that God is indeed real, that He does indeed have a purpose for you. When you begin to call out to Him, the most amazing of things begins to happen. Jeremiah writes and he says, when the Lord spoke to me, he said, I have appointed you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to build and to plant. He said, see, Jeremiah, I've set you like a fortified city, like a bronze gate. I have made you so strong that nothing that comes against you will in any way be able to hinder you. When any person, any person begins to seek God, I promise you, he will always begin to show you things. Jeremiah later prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse three. It's gonna come up on your screen. Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to me, I will answer you. I will show you, I will show you. God says, I'm gonna cause you to see something great and mighty that you do not know. 
See, friends, our life is not primarily limited by our knowledge, by our education. Our lives are not primarily limited by our wealth, by the length of our days, whether too young or too many. I want you to know that our lives are only limited by our ability to see. When any person begins to seek after God, that life immediately begins to start looking at their life, at the world that is around them, and they start seeing something different because God begins to illuminate their view. I'm praying and I'm believing that God is going to raise up in this very church a generation of people that are going to see something that nobody else has ever seen. If you believe that, can you give God some praise? See, if we had a central thread to tonight's talk, this is what it would be. There is nothing more determining of what you will do with your life than what you see for your life. There is nothing more determining of what you and I are going to do with this life that we have than what we see for this life that we have. In the book of John, chapter 4, verses 35 and 36, Jesus is having a convo with his disciples and he says, Do you not say, someone shout say. Do you not say that there are four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, I tell you, open up your eyes for the harvest is already ripe. Look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now, somebody say now. now. The reaper draws his wages, even now. He harvests the crop for eternal life. People are saying that there are four more months. They're saying, you're too young. They're saying the problems of this world are too great. They're saying that Christianity might be something that belonged to yesteryear. But I don't know about you. I believe God is looking for somebody that is going to see something different and start saying something different. I believe that God is in the business of showing us things. I believe God turns up in our lives and He shows us, He shows us, He shows us that dreams, He shows us the future, He shows us what He has for us. There is not a person in this auditorium that does not have the call of God on their life. Not a person, not a person hearing this message who is anything other than brilliant and unique and special, gifted and talented. And God is wanting you and I to see what He sees so that we can start saying what He wants us to say. He said to Jeremiah, do not say, do not say I am only a child. I want to change the way you see so I can change what you say. Here it is in a nutshell. What you see and what you say will together decide your life. If you can change what you see, if you can change what you say, then you can change what will happen with your life. I believe in a God who is wanting to arrest the hearts of many people in this auditorium. I believe God is wandering throughout this service tonight. I believe God is literally tapping on shoulders and He is saying to people, both young and old, He is saying, would you awaken that dream again? See, my friends, the Scripture promises us that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will have visions. There is a common denominator. When the Holy Spirit starts moving, people start seeing things that nobody else has ever seen. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you give my hearty praise together tonight? 
God is wanting to illuminate your heart. Would you call to Him? Would you seek after Him? Would, you, would we decide not to look, not to look at the size of our challenges or the size of the obstacles in front of us or the size of your own bank balance? Will we choose to look not the size of the challenge, but instead begin to gaze at the size of our God? Would we be a David generation that wouldn't look at the size of Goliath and run from the challenge? but would look to the size of our God and run to the challenge. If you want to be a David in your generation, lift your voice and give God some praise. What do you see? What do you see? See, the question God had for Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah said, I see the branch of an almond tree. And God said to him, this is good. You have seen correctly. And I believe God is looking to awaken within people in this room correct vision, correct pictures. What do you see? What do you see to cause us to not see? When you look in the mirror, not to see somebody flawed, not to see somebody marred, less than. He doesn't want you to look at yourself and see limits. He wants you to look at your life and see what He sees. A life filled with potential, a life for whom anything is possible. A person called and anointed by God with brilliance in their heart. If you believe God made you fearfully and wonderfully, wonderfully well, then give God some praise right now. I know what it's like when I was 14 years old. I used to look in the mirror and I would think my parents believe in God. But if my parents' God is real, then why would God make somebody look like this? I thought, man, everybody else in my school seems to go brown in the summer. My house, my face was just covered in the most horrific volcanic eruptions from pimples every single flipping day. I'm sure, to be honest with you, looking back, that it was only a few pimples, but it's amazing how what you stare at begins to get bigger. I thought maybe God had made a mistake, left out skin pigmentation. My brother goes beautifully brown in the summer. And then God had to give me him only 14 months younger. And he was being stronger than me from the time that we were about 12 years old. Thanks for that, Jesus. <laughs> Yet the truth is, my friends, that I was marred in what I saw. God was never marred in what he saw. When God made you, he didn't make a mistake. When God looks at you, he doesn't see inadequacy or imperfection. When God looks at you, he sees adequate, more than adequate, more than sufficient, well able, gifted, talented, brilliant, anointed, and appointed. Shake somebody near you and say, I am awesome and I know it. Joel was too quick to do that right then. <laughs> what do you see? See, friends, God is wanting to arrest our lives, arrest our church, arrest the new generation, and say, would you see something that nobody else has yet seen? God's not looking for a bunch of pathetic Christians. He's looking for prophetic ones. He's looking for somebody that's going to stand right now in the year 2016 and say the world is not coming to an end. Christians are not supposed to be singing Doors songs. Most of you are too old, young to know what I mean. When I was a kid, Jimmy Morrison used to sing, this is the end. 
my only friend, the end. Of all that's said and done, the end. It was the most depressing song that you've ever seen. And everybody listened to it. God's not looking for another Christian who sees a bunch of problems. He's looking for a Christian that's going to believe that God is for them. He wants to show you something new. He's got an answer. What I saw is not what William saw, Booth saw. It's not what Jeremiah saw or what Isaiah saw. God's going to show each and every person something different. But He wants to awaken within all of us our ability to see. I had to go nearly every year to, to the United Kingdom, and God's really opened up a lot of doors for us to help churches up there to grow and to experience breakthrough like we have. Our nations are quite similar. And I remember on the first time I went on a trip to the UK, I did a big leadership tour all over the UK. We went to, I can't remember, but a bunch of different cities. We did 13 different cities in something like 11 days. I traveled thousands of miles in a car, and you know, we went to London, Bristol, Birmingham, uh, Glasgow in Scotland, which is where my grandfather was born and raised, and Manchester, and Stratford-upon-Avon, and we went to all these different cities. It was amazing. We saw so many different sites, ministered in a whole bunch of different churches. They have the craziest place names over there. And as we're wandering around this environment, I took photo after photo after photo after photo. Then we had a day off. So me and Glenn Barrett, who's one of my best friends, we flew to Paris, and we spent one night in Paris. This is a true story. His new PA had booked a hotel room for us in what she inaccurately described as a boutique hotel. When we turned up, we were in the smallest hotel room you've ever seen in your life. If you never stayed in a hotel, it was what's called a twin share room, which means that there were two beds. Amen. <laughs> but when we walked into the room, the beds were literally about that far apart from one another. <laughs> the walls of the hotel room were all lilac, purple, light shade of purple. <laughs> around, around the headboard of these two beds, there were fairy lights. And I'm just saying, there's nothing fairy about me. Well, I walked in here, first thing I did was grab one bed and just throw it against the wall. Got it far away from Glenn. It was like, excuse me, I'm going to the bathroom. Like, it was, there was no room in this room. But while we were there in London, you know, we went to the, you know, we went to the Louvre, the great, you know, thing. We saw Mona Lisa. We had coffee on the Chandelier. We climbed the Eiffel Tower. We went to the Musée d'Orange, which is where Monet's watercolors are all positioned in this beautiful room, the most beautiful room I've ever seen in my life, along with the, the Sistine Chapel. It was absolutely breathtaking. When I got home, I'd taken all these photos. I sat down with my daughter, Lara, and I, I went through all the photos with her, and I was saying, you know, this is Glasgow, this is where your great-grandfather lived, and his London, and his Big Ben, and his uh, Churchill's War Rooms, not Hitler's. <laughs> here's this thing, and here's that thing, and we got it all through it. And then we got, then we got to Paris. We're flicking through these photos. I'm showing her this city, the great city of art, the great city of love. And as I'm showing her these photos, my little daughter looks up at me. She's like maybe five, six years old. And she says, Daddy, 
Daddy, can I go there one day? And in this moment, I knew that something quite powerful was happening. I don't know why I knew, but I knew that my answer to this was incredibly important. I wanted to say it costs a lot of money. <laughs> I wanted to say, Daddy would like to take you there one day. I wanted to say that life has challenges and hopefully you could get there. But in my heart, I knew, I knew that I needed to give her the right answer, that she was asking me a question and this answer was important. And I paused for a few seconds and then I said to her, Lara, you can go anywhere you wanna go in your life. You can do anything you wanna do. There are no limits over you. If you can see it, you can have it. And then I said, Lara, of course, you can go there one day. Well, I want you to know from that moment forward, Lara has drawn the Eiffel Tower, uh, like not even just once a month. She'd probably draw the Eiffel Tower once a week. She's got pictures of it on her wall. She's got the Eiffel Tower earrings, I kid you not. She's got Eiffel Tower everything, everything you can imagine. Notebooks, fulls of pictures of the Eiffel Tower, Paris, Paris, Paris. Well, I didn't know what was gonna happen. And then in December of last year, Jillian gets a phone call and her sister Jane, who lives in London, her only sister, is getting married in just a few weeks time. Well, Jillian said to me, what are we gonna do? I said, well, we've gotta go. So because she's only one sister, we're taking Jillian and I and the two kids. We're gonna go to the wedding in Rome. And then afterwards, my little daughter is gonna be going on a trip to a city that I never thought she would go to at the age of 12, but she's been seeing it, seeing it, seeing it, believing for it. And friend, I want you to know that your God can do amazing things in your life. You're not limited by your resources. You're not limited by your education. There's no limits over your town, your ethnicity, your background. If you can see it, then you can have it. If you believe it, then give the Lord some praise right now. Jesus is saying in John 4, 35, He's saying, open your eyes. If you can see it, then you can have it. You're not limited. He's saying, man, if you can conceive it in your mind, then it can happen in your life. God's looking for people that are gonna see something different. He's got a plan for you, got a destiny for you, wants to do something amazing in your life. I believe God's awakening right now in this room a generation of dreamers and schemers, a generation of young men and women that are gonna take the limits off their mind, their understanding. They're gonna rid themselves of small thinking, insecurity, a feeling of being from the wrong town or the wrong school. He's looking to awaken within us a spirit that says, if I can see it, then my God can give it to me. If you believe it, give the Lord some praise right now. Oh, friend, we've got Simon Peter. Simon Peter, one day is having a conversation with Jesus, and that awkward question comes up, who am I? And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And as he began calling out to God, God began calling out to him. He said, you are Christ. And God said, well, let me tell you, you're not actually Simon. You're not Simon. You're not a reed. You're Peter. You're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I want to change the way you see yourself. I want to change the way you see your horizon. I believe God is wanting to change our vision, change our perspective, change our future so we can change the world. 
If you're a world changer in this room, lift your voice and give God some praise. Come on. It's time to change what you see. We've got Joshua, the band can join me, standing in front of Jericho. And the Bible says when he's standing in front of Jericho, he wants it. He desires it. He wants to impact it. He's believing that God is going to give it to him. Yet the Bible says that what he sees with his natural eye is a city that is impenetrable, a city that is fortified. People said of Jericho that you cannot defeat it. You'll never take it down. It's formidable, it's indestructible, it's impenetrable, it cannot be conquered. And then in front of Joshua, there appears a man with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua looks at the man, he doesn't know what the man means, and the man says, basically, I haven't come to take sides, I have come to take over. I am not just a man with a drawn sword, I am in fact the Lord Almighty and as commander of the armies of the Lord, I'm turning up in your life. And I want you to know that every time you discover something more about God, you're going to discover something more about what He has for you. Then the Bible says in Joshua chapter 6 that the Lord arrested him and He said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given Jericho into your hand. March around this city once. March around it as the second day. And on the seventh time, I want you, seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. At the end of it, you give the loudest shout you've ever given. And the walls of Jericho are about to come tumbling down. And what people said, you could never do. A problem, they said, could never be moved. A situation people believed would never turn around, was solved because one man saw God for who He really was, saw his situation with the eyes that God wanted him to see it. He was awakened to the reality that God is not small, not a benign little creature. He is in fact a mighty warrior. And when he saw God as God really was, it awakened within him a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of doing. No one had ever thought to march around a city and then on the seventh time to give a loud shout. They thought to defeat a city, you needed to starve the people out. But what people thought would take months, Joshua did it in only seven days. See, when you get an innovation, stuff starts happening faster than you ever thought it could ever take place. Well, I want you to know that God seekers are innovators. And if we could just decide to take our eyes off the limits and put our eyes on our God, if we could see the problems the way that God sees them, then I believe we could change our generation for the cause of our God. If you believe that might be you, could you give the Lord one great praise offering in this place? Come on. Come on, it's good. It is time to see something different. It's time to see you for who you really are. See your life for what it really is. See your horizon the way God wants you to see it and understand your purpose the way God wants you to know it. It is time for somebody, somebody to see. When I was a young high school evangelist, I used to be a youth evangelist, travel around high schools talking to people about Jesus. 
I turned up to this one school, and when I got there, what, saw, what I saw shocked me. I ministered in so many groups. I can't tell you how many groups I'd, I'd gone to speak at. I would say probably the average size was about maybe 12. And we would go every lunchtime, every lunchtime. Auckland's covered in schools. I did Hamilton schools. We went all over the place. Morrinsville, we went north, Whangarei. These little Christian groups and we'd be sharing in these Christian groups in the lunch times. I turned up to this one school on the North Shore of Auckland. When I walked into this room, there were over 200 kids absolutely rammed into this little kind of like drama thing in a lunchtime, like a drama studio or something, had raked seating and it was absolutely packed. I thought, what, have they closed lunchtime down? I couldn't believe it. The guy was running it was this nerdy, unfashionable kind of kid. And I just could not understand how on earth he'd been able to gather this group of people together. So I said to him, what did you do? How did, how did you defy every normal and build such a significant thing? And he said to me, he said, well, you know, I, I, I started this Christian group. And nobody wanted to come. It was just, you know, like nobody wanted to come. And I was looking at him and I'm thinking, well, I probably wouldn't want to come. <laughs> he said, but you know, one day I was reading my Bible. And when I was reading my Bible, I saw this verse of Scripture. And it was talking about how God can heal the sick. And I thought that would be something that people would want to see. So he goes to his parents' printer and he makes up little posters. He showed me one that was so bad, like clip art for Jesus. And it said, if you need healing, come to D2 on Wednesday lunchtime. So, so he goes around the school with his, you know, roll of tape. And his clip art posters <laughs> and his nerdy look, you know. He had the wrong hairdo. He had his socks up instead of down, shirt tucked in. Like he just was not your typical like, hey, everybody at high school flocked to me. He was about the opposite of that. But he kept going round. He put up all these posters. The next Wednesday lunchtime, well, you know, people came to the room and he had a good crowd. <laughs> And he's thinking to himself, what do I do now? So he says, right, this is the verse that I was reading. God can heal people. If you need healing, let me pray for you. So you can imagine, he's like 15 years old, 16 maybe. Kids come down the front. And he's like, right. And he prays for this kid. And it freaked him out. The kid got healed. Well, now... Now we're going viral, people. It got out into the school. This is before cell phones. But anyway, it went viral. And it went out into the school. And kids were like, you should see what's going on in D2. So they kept coming back. And the group kept growing. And the group kept growing. And next thing you know, he's got over 10% of his school involved in a Christian group, the largest Christian group at that time in the nation of New Zealand. Just because one young guy saw something different. Well, he, he finished his time at school, left school, and thought, I don't want to leave what God's been doing at my school. 
So we just started a national movement that went literally for the next 10 years up and down New Zealand with Christian groups, with Christian students being bold, doing things that were different, reaching out of the box, and a whole new wave of high school students found Jesus, I would say probably thousands, because one kid with his socks peeled up and a nerfy haircut wasn't looking at the size of the obstacle, wasn't looking at the challenges of his world, wasn't looking at the pressure of his university, but he saw the size of his God and the promise of his word. And if you believe you could change your world for Jesus too, why don't you lift your voice and give God some praise right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.